The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. Lord, we thank you. You've brought us together to understand this characteristic of being a people pleaser. And we do pray that you'll help us take this issue and use it for your glory and help others that we talk to who may be struggling with people pleasing. And Lord, we thank you. Your word offers hope for, and help in so many different categories, including this one. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're talking about peer pressure, codependency. And those who've had any experience with Al-Anon or boundaries, learning to say no, I'll start by saying, my name is Caroline and I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> and what do they say in a AA? Yes. Hello. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Caroline. <laughs> okay, that's why I chose this topic, because I'm living it, okay? So, this is so important. And I'm just gonna tell you the answer right now. We need to focus on the Lord more than people. But I'll give you lots more stuff than that. Okay, so Isaiah 2:22. I'm gonna load you up with verses. Because I'm expecting some of you are talking to people are struggling with this area. So Isaiah 2.22 says, Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? And Lou Priolo is one, has written a book, it's one of my favorites on this subject, Pleasing People. And this little dog is trying so hard to keep that ball up in the air. And it's a struggle. So Lupriolo says there are two sides of people pleasing. There's both love of approval and fear of losing approval or respect. Okay, think about that. People pleasing affects both us and others. And your key passage is Proverbs 29, 25. Just get this one, okay? The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So, fear of man. Here's some things that ways it's exhibited. Do you have do you wonder what others think about you? Do you go to a party wondering if anybody will ever talk to you at the party? Are you worried about being in the in-group? Are you constantly apologies, apologizing? I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Are you happy with me now? Do you give insincere compliments? That's so cute what you're wearing. Do some of us have trouble saying no to being on the committee or taking on another counselee or ministry and then we just get totally burned out some of us lie to others in order to tell them what they want to hear. Others avoid confrontation because it makes us unpopular. And here we see this in churches where we don't have church discipline because that's really a negative thing in their minds. It's negative to practice church discipline. People don't like you when you do that. 
I was in a church in Jeddah where when the government cracked down, oh, so I should tell you Jeddah's in Saudi Arabia. When the, church, when the government cracked down on the church, so many people left the church because it wasn't popular to go to church anymore. It was somewhat risky. The way you can find out really whether you're a people pleaser is how do you handle criticism? There's a test. How do you react? And some people find that keeping everyone happy is a type of bondage. <coughs> you see wives running ragged just to keep the husband happy. You see a child-centered home where the toddler says, I want a sandwich. So you make a sandwich and you cut it in a rectangle. I want it in squares. You cut it in squares. I want it in triangles. And you're doing everything you can to keep this kid happy. And you're going crazy. It's fixing um, like four kinds of meals. So this person doesn't like this food, so I'm not fixing that. And they don't like this. And this person doesn't eat onions. And this person doesn't eat green peppers. So we have like four kinds of dishes on the table just so everybody's happy. And this is such a big problem in counseling, people pleasing. It's not always the presenting problem, though. But you see it with people who are having relationship problems and people who've come to realize that when you don't confront sin early, you've got residual problems. You've got problems down the road for not dealing with sin. For example, a wife who's been abused by a husband, but she doesn't want to tell her church leaders because what will they think of her? And she keeps it a secret. Or sexual abuse that's never reported because what will people think of me? And nobody will believe me. And others are so concerned about their reputation, they're just going to keep it quiet and push it under the rug. And people who are married to prodigals or parents of prodigals may avoid getting help. Now, you remember our conference last year was about prodigals? And Dave Harvey spoke, and he wrote this book, Letting Go. And I'll read to you what he says. He says, the fear of man can make us overly sensitive to how our prodigal makes us appear to others. And we may be tempted to dismiss or spin their behavior so it doesn't reflect poorly on us. So much about reputation and avoiding getting help because of that. So, have you ever, I don't know, some of you are experienced counselors, have you ever had a counselee come up and say, could you go talk to so-and-so? about their problem, because I don't want to address it with them, but you can, because you're the counselor, okay? Fear of people, fear of man is avoiding confrontation when it's needful. And Dave Harvey again says, fear can lead you to recruit others to communicate the hard words that our loved ones should hear directly from us. We're not discouraging you from seeking pastoral or professional help, but this help should be supplemental to your own truth-telling and not a replacement for it. Like, would somebody else do the dirty work? That's what he's talking about. And in the Peacemaker material, that's called 
peace faking, not peacemaking. I'm pretending everything's okay. I'm going to be fake about it. Now, there's so many good books written on this subject. I've got a resource list for you at the end. Some of these I'm going to talk about. Um, there's a blog on this list by Jeremy Pierre, The Sin of Insecurity. <laughs> a lot of us are using Ed Welch's book, When People Are Big and God is Small. Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. And then I have a few others I'm going to use today. One of them is Picture Perfect by Amy Baker. Good for perfectionist problems too, but fear of man is in here. Doesn't this cover drive you crazy? <laughs> Those of you who like everything to be just right. Okay, but there is a better, bigger book with tons of fear of man issues in it and it is our Bible. And bear with me, because I've been Sunday school teacher for like 25 years, so we've got to look at the Sunday school people the stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament about these people who have fear of man. And I just kind of thought up some on my own. And you could probably add to this list, but my first guy is Gideon. Judges 6:27. Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. He still obeyed, but Look at his motivation. Uh, 1 Samuel 2, story of Eli. And it says in verse 29, why, this is God saying, why then did you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honored your sons above me? It's dramatic what the Lord says. To Eli there. And then it goes on and says, now the Lord declares, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. There's a dramatic contrast between wanting everyone to like you and honoring the Lord above men. Okay, then we have Saul, still in the book of 1 Samuel 15, 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Jonah ran away because he said, if I go preach to the Ninevites, they're just going to believe and I'm going to look stupid. Okay, that's not a verse, but it's a description of why Jonah left and ran away from God. Because he says, I knew what you would do, Lord. I knew that people would repent. Ananias and Sapphira, now we're in the New Testament. They lied about their donation. They could have given part of the sales of their property, but they lied apparently to look good in front of the people. And here's a gem of a verse, John 12, 42 through 43. The story of, let's see, 
Well, it's when Jesus is doing his miracles. And it says, nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Elijah ran away from Jezebel. Okay. Is peer pressure and codependency a new problem? No, I hope I proved that to you. But I don't want to be a downer. I'm going to give you some good guys. Moses. Okay, we find out about Moses' motivations when we read Hebrews 11, 24 through 28. It says Moses, starting, yeah, 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You could just take a counsel through that right there. The reproach of Christ and what it means to a Christian compared to the wealth and all the rest that the world offers. But it says here in 26, he was looking for the reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I mean, we get so weirded out by what people think of us because they're people right in front of us. We forget God is watching all and God knows. So this is a wake up call. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, boy, chapter two, the beginning of his ministry, God is telling him what his ministry is going to be like. And in verse six, he says, and you, son of man, be not afraid of them, meaning the people he will be preaching to, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, he says again, nor be dismayed by their looks, for they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Sometimes I'm just thankful, Lord, thank you so much. You didn't give me the calling of Ezekiel. Ah. Okay. I also love John 9. In John 9, you have the man born blind, and you have two examples in there of the man born blind himself and his reaction to standing against all the Pharisees. And it says in uh, 918, this is how his parents responded. The Jews did not believe that the guy had been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son whom you say he was born blind? For then how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, 
for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. And there they are, in memoriam, people pleasers worried about what people think. And yet the man born blind testified and believed. Paul has written so many words we will look at about people pleasing, but I love this in 1 Thessalonians 2, starting verse 3. He's speaking of the gospel. I declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Then he goes on and says, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Love that. Standing up for truth. So I'm going to tell you a few things about why you don't want to be a people pleaser. And I'm going to start with saying how hurtful it is to you yourself to live for the approval of others. Then I'm going to address how it's hurtful to others. Okay, it's going to, we're hurting ourselves when we do everything we can to protect our own selves. Now, the application is in evangelism. Some of us are scaredy cats about evangelism because what will people think? They're gonna think I'm a crazy person. They're gonna think I'm a Jesus crazy person, wild in my opinions about God, and I'm not gonna have any respect anymore. I mean, I've been hindered by that, okay? What will I say to my friends and relatives, my neighbors, what will they think if I give them the gospel? And you're hurting yourself because you, become, you can become hypocritical. I've already talked about how we're deceptive when we're trying to do everything else for other people and bend what we want, even up to do what others want and go against our own conscience. Now, Romans 12, 9 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And so if we're going to jettison our faith or our testimony or even our opinions that are in line with scripture in order to be accepted by the public or accepted by people, we really care what they think, then we're not standing up like Moses did for God. So, and we can be super insincere. We're not going to be real if we're trying to say things so people will like us. And You've got a couple of passages to tell you that. And that first one is Colossians 3. And I picked this for the very obvious reason that the word people pleasing is right there. Mm -hmm. Colossians 3, 22. 
slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, just to be noticed, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then here's the positive. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You see that? I'm doing everything I can for God. It's not just so people think I'm so amazing and wonderful. And then it says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, (coughs) not all these other people. Okay. And the other is Ephesians 6, it's parallel passage. So the people pleaser, though, is going to run into problems when people don't love us back. Okay. This is, it's really hard because you're doing all you can to make everybody like you, right? And if they don't like you, it's tough. And Dave Gilbert talks about this in Letting Go. Dave Harvey, sorry, Paul Gilbert. (laughs) Loving a prodigal is loving a rebel. Someone who isn't trying to work it out and who doesn't have your interests in mind. It's loving someone who is enamored with their sin and does not care about the consequences, the pain and hurt it causes others. So if you're in this situation, you're going to find yourself either giving up or or just letting your prodigal do whatever they want. And by prodigal, I don't mean just like prodigal son, that story. I'm talking about a daughter who's rebellious or even a husband who's not walking with the Lord. You know, I'm stretching this out to many other categories. So expand your mind when I say prodigal. Uh, it says Dave, Gil, Dave Harvey is telling us that res- prodigals don't have reciprocal love. And so you're going to be really, really having a hard time trying to keep them happy. And sometimes you're going to let them try to get away. You're going to let them get away with stuff. And this is like even moms with those really hard-nosed, super tough toddlers. It's like, okay, okay. I don't know why we spend so much time trying to keep a four-year-old happy with us. When even to their detriment. Okay. But it says here, Dave Harvey recognizes that the fear of our prodigal being mad at us can lead to wrong responses. He says, in a few places is the fear, in few places is the fear of humans more prominent, more of a daily battle than among those who love people who reject their love. Our unrequited love creates a snare for us because it stirs powerful desires in our heart to seek approval from people rather than God. This desire for approval can lead to exaggerated fear of being rejected by our prodigals, causing them to grow big and God to shrink. Okay, that's reminding us of Ed Welch's book. When people are big and God is small, because that's what really matters to us, whatever's big, right? The Bible tells us that when we're influenced by others, we are not wise people. And by this, I mean people who are leading us astray. Colossians, I mean, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, not that, I mean, Paul's like right out there. 
He doesn't care. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. It's all good. It's all good. Okay, you can do that if you want. Good for you. And we end up commending something which is unrighteous. And then the group who was with me earlier, please bear with me, but I'm going to read to you Ecclesiastes 7.21. Again, you guys heard it earlier, but here it is. I love this. Ecclesiastes 7.21 says, Do not take to heart all the things that people say. I love it. That's like a gem. Whoa. And we can prefer the wrong kind of attention and become even blind to our own sin. I'm talking about like our teenage daughter who decides to go out with her friends. And all of a sudden, all the underage girls are buying alcohol. And she's just going along with it. Because I want these people to like me. I want to fit in with the group. And totally forgetting what God's commands are because I want to be accepted. These people matter to me more than God. Okay. So I've counseled many women with this problem and some of them have just got to realize first that this is their problem. They come in with other issues. They come in with like, I can't get along with my Mother-in-law, she's never happy with me, okay? And one thing I'm telling them, which is part of like astonishing at first, is we cannot expect we're gonna make everyone happy anyway. I mean, is that's our goal, we're not gonna achieve it. I mean, what do we think? Everybody's gonna like us. I mean, that's so unrealistic. And we know that as Christians, that's not true either. So Matthew 10, this really helped a lady. I saw her one time. She came in with a family member who was really angry with her, and she was finding it really hard to deal with. I met her three times, but what I said to her on the first meeting was what she carried the next two times. And by the third time, she goes, I don't know if I need to keep meeting with you. I think I got it. And it was from Matthew 10. I just read to her 34 to 36. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, says Jesus. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and her daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. But listen to what he says. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you know the next verse? And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That section, we don't realize, is in the context of Jesus saying, you're not going to be loved by all the world. If you follow me, 
you're going to have natural enemies rising up against you. That's reality. And even uh, in that same chapter, he says in verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And 1 Peter 4, he, Peter gives a long list of like acts of the Gentiles. And he says, besides that, they will malign you. So this is really an important teaching. <coughs> and some may say, hey, I don't know. I would rather everybody love me than follow Christ. And you'll find that in counseling. Sometimes people say that. But there will be many who respond and say, now I understand why I can't keep everyone happy and why I'm going so crazy trying to do it. Now, for some of you who are counselors, I want to bring up a couple things. And if you're a people pleaser, you're going to have a hard time. It's going to affect your counseling because it's going to be difficult to confront sin. I'm telling you that from personal experience. You want everybody to love on you, then sometimes you got to remember you have to address sin. You can do it in a loving way, but Dave Harvey says sometimes relationships have an unwritten house rule: keep peace, avoid truth. But silence like this is not loving; it is selfish. And then you get counselors who say, I can't do this because it's not working. It doesn't go well. And I don't think I'm cut out to be a counselor because everybody's not just embracing the truth. I had an experience where I heard about one of my cases the daughter of one of my counselees says, I don't know why you're going to that counselor. Because nothing's changing. And what did you think I felt like? Like, no, I want to show you biblical counseling really works. But I had, could not get caught up in this whole thing about what does it make me look like? Am I a great counselor or not? I just so depend on the Holy Spirit. I just have to say, I'm still going to do it. And maybe the mother won't change. Maybe she'll always be like that and counseling or I will have a bad reputation, but so be it. I mean, that's out of my control. I have to still keep going, right? Okay. So I added a point since I made my outline, and this is the guilt that comes from not pleasing everybody. It keeps you up at night, doesn't it? To know somebody's not happy with you. Well, it does for me. It's like, these people don't like me, or like, I can't get on their good side. What can I say? What can I do? It's like the puppy dog, like, oh, 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 please love me, love me. You know, it can be really hard because then you're getting guilty and then you're like going back and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, over and over till they finally love you, you know, and I have a comic that I shared last hour, but I'll read to you. This poor woman, she's lying in bed and she goes, why did I say that awful thing to Ted and Irene? Why? And then she answers herself. 
because you're an insensitive clod. <laughs> and she turns over and she goes, why don't I ever think before I speak? You never learn from experience, you dimwit. I hate agonizing over things after midnight. The only one who answers my questions is me. This poor lady. I mean, don't we do that? Like, oh, man, they're not going to like me. Oh, they took it the wrong way. And maybe they took it the wrong way. And ah, I go crazy. So you're hurting yourself. But I want to tell you a few steps of how it also hurts you to be a people, hurts others to be a people pleaser. I've already addressed a little bit when I'm saying that we need to address sin. But do you realize when you do not address sin with somebody, it is not really that loving? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's like, I really love you, and so I'm going to tell you, maybe you don't see this, but this is happening. This is how you're treating your husband. Just when you see that, because I care about you. But the people pleaser probably wouldn't stick her neck out and say that. But Romans 12, 9 says, Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And Dave Harvey takes that idea and he says, True and genuine love abhors evil. That means that we loathe and stand in opposition to it. It means that we have eyes to see evil and the courage to respond to it. Because God abhors sin. So all we're doing when we address sin, even in a loving way, we're saying, I care about you and I want you to be pleasing to God. This is what God has to say. I know that your life will be blessed when you follow him. And the opposite of confronting sin in others is flattering. You're doing great. I don't see why you're having any problem. Oh, it's everybody else's fault. Not you. You're wonderful. Okay? The flatterer spreads a net for, his, for your feet. And in the passage we read in 1 Thessalonians, we see a direct connection between flattery and error, impurity, and an attempt to deceive. And we harm others. We harm ourselves and others when we live for the other, peop other people and not for Christ. Okay, it's not doing them any good either. When we give and give everything just to let them be happy. Sure, I'll give you another $100. You need gas money? Of course. I'm not going to stand up to you and help you to learn to be independent. I just want to give you more so that you'll just think I'm the good person. And I'll be nice. You think I'm nice when I give you more and more. You see that a people pleaser just digs a big hole for herself? <sighs> so we want to please the Lord above all things. So reorient ourselves now in these last, this last portion of this talk. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Four Loves, we may give our human loves the unconditional allegiance which we owe only to God. See how you could put somebody else up above God by just doing and giving. I mean, not saying you're not supposed to give, but I'm saying 
giving and doing just to keep them happy. And do you think that's ever going to be satisfying to a false idol? Never be satisfying. You can never do enough. There are people who just take and take and take. And then you're not happy either in the end. Because we're Christians, we're created to please God. Living to please Him. And I'm going to give you some verses on that. Here is the most startling one I found in the New Testament. And that is Galatians 1.10. I have it underlined. I have it in my margin. People pleasing. I have Proverbs 29.25 right there next to it. It says, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And listen to the killer ending. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So all our servanthood, all our giving, all our loving is done for the sake of Christ. To please God, not to get good vibrations and happiness from other people, all, everybody around us. Okay. We also have that passage in Matthew 10 that I said, you know, if you're not willing to take up God's cross... If you're going to love other people more than me, you are not worthy of me. Now, we get so confused about that, don't we? But I just thought I was supposed to be the nice person. And I thought I was supposed to be loving. And wasn't Jesus a servant? Yes. But I'm talking about in order to get folks to love you, ignoring sin and the wrong things they're doing. So... Can we live with the idea that not everybody loves us? Okay, while we're sitting here, yes. Yes, Caroline, I got it. But reality, when you're in the moment, you got to find yourself thinking, am I pleasing, doing this to please God or people? Do, do a check on yourself. And when you're counseling, you're looking carefully to see what the motivations are. Because people aren't going to come in and say, I'm a people pleaser. How can I get some help? But when you're look, asking the questions and drawing it out, why are you not getting along with your, your uh, mother-in-law? Okay, tell me. What's going on? Tell me more. And then they say, like, I can't do anything to please them. Keep them happy. Well, you're going to give them some practical things. But you can eventually say, hey, you know, what is your goal in life? To get her to love you? Or are you just serving God and let him judge between you and these other people? So we're so thankful that the antidote for people pleasing is, you got it, fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's who we're really supposed to be afraid of. That's who we're supposed to please as well. And Matthew 10 again. Really good Bible study on Matthew 10 for this topic. Says in verse 26, my heading above 26 is have no fear. So 26, Matthew 10, 26. So have no fear of them, 
for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It talks about how precious are the sparrows. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Little creatures. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Now, my husband was in China in January. And what did he see there? Persecuted church. He talked to pastors who said, yeah, I've been arrested. I've been questioned by the authorities. But I don't fear them. I fear God. I'm still going to teach. I'm still going to preach the gospel because I love God. It doesn't matter what will happen to me. These are brave people. I mean, we get all mixed up in our heads when we got half of our congregation mad at us or our sister hasn't called us in four weeks and we think she's mad at us. No, these are people laying it on the line and saying, I am going to do what's right. I'm going to follow God even if it means my family rejects me. I lose my livelihood and I'm in prison. Okay? Those are the heroes. And then we have again in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 in the NIV. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me, living before God instead of others, because God is worthy. He is the Lord of hosts, it says, Isaiah 8:13, and you should honor him as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And we're wise when we live to please God. We know these verses, don't you girls? You know these verses? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's Proverbs 9, 9. It's a theme in Proverbs, right? 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So if we're trying to help a counselee who has problems with people pleasing, we've got to address fear of the Lord. Okay. And you have to teach. What does that mean? Fear of the Lord. So I'll teach you right now. It's just awe and respect and love for God 
above anyone else. And how basic is that? It is so basic. But we become weak and fearful and struggle because we take people and make them so big and important without realizing, you know, it's just temporary. These are temporary things. Whatever they think, hey, doesn't matter. And as I spoke to pastors' wives a little bit, can you just let it roll off? Can you? Can you just let it roll off and realize that if I'm standing before God, pleasing Him, that's where I need to be. So, we have a wise person that values God above all others. And Philippians 2.7 gives us the example of Jesus. And it's healthy to read these passages in different languages, different translations, right? So Philippians 2.7, ESV says, Jesus made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. But King James Version says, Jesus made himself of no reputation. Think about that. Our reputation compared to Jesus is our example. He didn't value what people said of him. He humbled himself that much. And Luke 2, uh, 6.22 gives us that positive side of it. We've seen a whole bunch in Matthew. But now Luke 6.22 says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. And this is what you tell the mom who has a son who's come out as gay. Mom, won't you accept me? You can say, I love you. <coughs> but I'm not going to compromise what God says. I still love you, but God says it's wrong. And then face the rejection and whatever response comes from that person and just content that I'm following God. I'm doing what's right. I'm fearing the Lord more than I'm fearing men. And again, we have Jesus as our example. He's, he was not loved by all. And even at the end, was he even, did he even have faithful disciples at the very end? No. I mean, they all ended up fleeing and rejecting. At least not understanding. So look at John 2, 22, 23, I'm sorry. It says about Jesus. Now, when he was at the Jerus in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, we're talking the beginning of his ministry. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people 
and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And as Christians growing up and living now in an increasingly non-Christian culture, we're going to have to stand up for God. And I'm not telling you exactly what you're supposed to be doing about it precisely on each point, but I am telling you, let's learn to fear God above men and stand for truth. Because that's what Jesus did. He did not entrust himself because he did not need anyone to bear witness for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is our example also of living to please the Father. I mean, that's our ultimate goal. Please God. As Matthew 25 says, when the people came back with their little talents or their many talents that have been invested for God, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear, right? I mean, saints through history, and we think about one of the major biblical counseling leaders, David Pallison, who died recently, think, well done, good and faithful servant. We recognize what he's done for the Lord. And I'm sure he's faced rejection. Some of us have faced rejection and people saying, what in the world are you doing biblical counseling for? You don't make any money doing that. What an idiotic goal for you to have. Why would anybody do that? Somebody as smart as you, why should you be a biblical counselor? But you're saying, I want to do something that pleases God. I feel convicted in this. And I want to please the Lord rather than man. Otherwise, aren't we doing just like bending according to what anybody else wants? I mean, talk about lack of respect. Those people who are trying to control us and all that we're supposed to be doing. I mean, they're not really respecting us, are they? But, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do. Please the Lord. And John 6, 38 describes Christ's attitude. He said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That is our goal, to do the will of God who sent us. And we have that example of him as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we consider people pleasing and how serious it is, we realize that this is a sin to be a people pleaser. And may we all on our beds tonight confess the aspects of people pleasing we have in our life where we're saying, man, I'm just living for other people. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. My goals even are wrong. Maybe you're being really good, but why are you doing it? So people will love you, respect you and admire you? No, Jesus made himself no reputation. And there will be people, if you haven't encountered this already, who will slander your name for many reasons and let us just let it be for preaching the gospel and not for our own stupidity. But if they slander us for preaching the gospel or pursuing biblical counseling or saying, I think the Bible's sufficient, 
to answer spiritual problems, let him do it. Let him do it. Because we want to please God and not living for people. And when we confess, we realize God is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from that kind of unrighteousness as well. And if we want to be really, really taking some important lessons out of this talk, we're going to say, Lord, let me fear you more than people. And do you all know some of the famous psalms that speak of fear that you might assign to a person who's a fearful person? Yes, I'm sure you do. But I'll tell you. Go to Psalm 27. It's one of the go-to psalms as you're speaking to somebody who's fearful about so many things. We, that's a big counseling issue. But fear of people, you can use it for that. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you see this person here? David is worried about people. <coughs> He's not worried about cancer. He's not talking about cancer here. He says, of whom shall I be afraid? And it's, he gets himself oriented in verse three. He says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I shall be confident. And he gets himself settled in verse four. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. But then he has to talk to himself. Seven. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. That's pleading. Verse 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And 10 is what you will use for a woman that you're counseling who has been rejected by family, perhaps. Or there's some, there's some who have become Christians and been rejected by their family, right? Like Muslims? Or cultural mainstream Christianity? Say, like, what? Why are you spending so much time at church? Okay. For my mother, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I think he's still struggling by verse 14 because he says, wait for the Lord be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's a beautiful passage. Another major past psalm is Psalm 118. Some of us have to remember this when we're rejected by people. Our re reputation's tarnished because of our Christianity. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, they can do a lot. Let's be honest. They can do a lot. You know, Muslim guy who became a Christian in Saudi Arabia was rejected by his family. But not only that, they were very wealthy. And he was like dead to them. 
but he's still, he's trusted the Lord. And it says in verse eight, Psalm 118, eight, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And this is such an important passage. It is repeated in the New Testament. In Hebrews 13. I think we better pay attention if it's repeated, right? Hebrews 13, 6. So we confident, we can confidently say, oh, I better read before that. Jesus, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we might have to tell ourselves when we get in a bind and we find ourselves speaking up for Christ or just being silent and not affirming falsehood or truth, untruth or sin. So we remember back to 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Just a phrase, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We're able to be God pleasers because of the payment of Christ for our sins and our adoption as his sons and daughters. So I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my resources. Lord, we thank you that you understand this very visceral need we have to be approved and by others. And some of us struggle with it more than others. We thank you for the testimony of many who have stood up for truth and have endured rejection and ridicule and even people screaming at them. Some have endured imprisonment and torture for the sake of Christ and yet have remained faithful. We thank you for the examples in the Bible of people who loved you more than others. We thank you that we know you will help us as we overcome, work to overcome this sin because we want to make our life in Christ more important than our reputation. And we pray for help for these women and those people they will be helping, that you would bless and honor them as they seek to help a people pleaser. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2019, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.